everybody, welcome to Insufferable Bastards, episode 242. We are talking about the top five movie scenes of all time. I am a co-host. My name is Carlos Danger for the purposes of this broadcast, and I'm joined by the other co-host, Mr. Brian Spears. Hello, hello. All right, so I asked, I put this on Twitter the other day, top five movie scenes. And it could be something that thrilled you, that just spoke to you. You know, we're talking about art. You don't know how you're going to connect with art. It's totally subjective. So it could be any scene anybody wanted uh, or just was something that was just really cool that sticks in your memory. So those are the parameters, meaning there were none. So I think I'll start off by going over the answers from Twitter that we received. Okay. The first one is from The Bohuniac. That is actually a, uh, a former public official here in my part of the world in the Naugatuck Valley of, of uh, the Nutmeg State, Connecticut. And he's answered, well, because I, I, I also I should also note that I stole from Super Retro Throwback Reviews. He does this all the time, and he says, we want to hear from, and then he tags a bunch of people. I totally ah, stole that from him. Okay. So I didn't, although I didn't tag the Bohuniac, he answered nonetheless, which is great. So he says, Jaws. The USS Indianapolis monologue. All right. Quint Gibbs, you can't can't argue with that. Can't argue with that. This next pick I love from the movie Signs, the birthday party video. That is the scene where you first get a glimpse of the alien as the kids are watching TV. As the kids are watching, yeah. Legitimately terrifying. So good on the Bohuniac for mentioning that. Then he says, this is a movie that I have not seen, but people talk about it an awful lot. And Brian, I think you might have too. It was either you or Matt Maisto from Mondo Creepy on a previous episode. Big Fish, the funeral scene. So that's I, I hear about that all the time. Super Troopers, like totally change of direction here. All right. Super Troopers, the opening scene for Super Troopers. It's not as funny as everyone thinks it is. Oh, at least we, we, we can't insult them, though. No, no, I'm not. But like, it is a fun movie. That that whole you people know, love a, it. People, yeah, like it's it's definitely fun. Okay, and then last but not least, <clears throat> let me just let me just brace myself avengers endgame when the don't hey don't i'm not Ryan, I'm stop not, did i i all right those guffaws or whatever they're called those sighs the breathing is the microphone that really i got i got i get the feedback on twitter you don't you won't see any of it all i'll right. get it it's when the avengers assemble at the end of avengers endgame so that was the bohuniac thank you so much next uh submission was from a guy on twitter named steven samella or sam alla i'm not sure i'm pronouncing his last name correctly. He says, President Whitmore's speech was the greatest moment in political and cinematic history. He's talking about the scene with Bill Pullman in Independence Day. I had to Google who President Whitmore was. So I, I will note, we, this podcast, Insufferable Bastards, has a very strong following among young Democrats in the state of Connecticut. <laughs> Connecticut young Democrats, specifically from the Naugatuck Valley where I live. Those guys, I just, those are both past members. I think they've aged out at this point. I think they're a little long in the tooth to wrap the young Democrat tag around them. But that's Stephen trying to be snarky. Um, I, I hate uh, Independence Day. That's not even good. Let's just, well, let's just move I, on from that. I, I, I worked with Bill Pullum on the center, and he did that speech for everyone before July 4th. Oh, there you go, Stephen. Look at that. You unlocked you go. a good story, so, a good onset go. story. What? What? Oh, that was the center on USA the with Jessica Biel? So, yep. Okay, then the Recent Activity Pod. You can follow them on Twitter at Recent ACT Pod, Recent Act Pod. 
he says, or they say, there's three of them. The dam, I don't know, I don't know if this speaks for all of them. I should point that out, that disclosure. The dam chase scene in The Fugitive, where Harrison Ford jumps off into the waterfall of Tommy Lee Jones looking at him longingly. The entire escape from the Galleria into the truck chase in Terminator 2 is unbelievable. Moving on, The Pint, a pop culture podcast. Follow them at The Pint Podcast on Twitter. I support them on Patreon. So uh, The Pint, a pipe culture podcast says the, and this was, he was responded through gifts, so I had to interpret this. The ending flamethrower scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where Leo uh, does his thing in the pool. Then when the T-Rex takes down the dinosaur banner in the first Jurassic Park, like the climax of the first Jurassic Park, those are his two submissions. Right. And going back, going back to recent activity, he had replied to the pint saying, I almost posted that scene or this scene. So we're definitely on the same wavelength. And he's talking about the scene in Jurassic Park, famously, where we get to see the puddle, the water moving yes. in the puddle, and yeah. the T-Rex and shows the T -Rex up. And the T-Rex shows up, yeah. Uh, I guess the pint, the pint podcast, John Amenta was on another podcast reacting to the latest Jurassic Park, which good on him. For, I couldn't bring myself to, I, I stopped watching after part one. I'm not a fan of those movies. No, me neither. Okay, so then Mondo Creepy, he says the Goodfellas restaurant shot, you know, the Copa scene. I think that's the Copa, the okay. famous uh, the, steady cam the, the, shot. The one yeah, yeah, the one take. Yep, and then he had a image of from of Dante from Clerks just simply putting his head down on the counter in exasperation. I don't know why I can't pronounce that word. Uh, then he had the thing. The transformation scene in the thing where the head comes off the table and it goes crazy the famous scene in the thing then he had the reservoir dogs the famous brick wall scene and then in jaws when the shark breaches the boat and eats poor quint and then i'm um, going on to isaac thorne he's a horror writer follows us on twitter and always has been sharing our content since like day one well thank, thank you. you yeah thank you very much isaac he says from indiana uh, from raiders of the lost ark indy climbing atop the submarine then Superman saving Lois from the copter in Superman the movie, the entire club scene in Fright Night 1985, the hobbling scene in Misery, the training oh, montage in Rocking, Rocky Four, Rocky Four training montage, and then bonus any random scene in Romancing the Stone. Hey, I think that was on, uh, I think I might even have said that as far as honorable Romancing the goes. Stone? Uh, not Romancing, oh, no, I thought true romance. Wait, ro all right. Never mind. I can't tell if Isaac is kidding or not. Okay. All right. Then our pal Super Retro Throwback Review, he picked a very specific specific scene from Casino. Excuse me. And his comment was, not only is it true, but the cinematography, the lighting, the acting, chef's kiss. In Vegas, everybody's got to watch everybody else. Since the players are looking to beat the casino... The dealers are watching the players. The boxmen are watching the dealers. The floormen are watching the boxmen. The pit bosses are watching the floormen. And so on and so forth. I mean, you know, Martin Scorsese is a genius. You know, I never I, get tired of saying that. Um, I think also, I mean, I did pick a movie from Martin Scorsese, but I think you could put Martin Scorsese's just movies are or the reason to watch movies. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to pick one scene from one movie from him. 
Right, exactly. Because there's and, so many that are so like epic and so good. Yeah. And then we had uh, the Valley Indie, which may or may not be me cheating. I may or may not be <laughs> in charge of this Twitter account. Uh, but the Valley Indie picked De Niro in the phone booth reacting to the news of Tommy's death from Goodfellas. Very specific. Who's this? This is Vinny. Vinny, what happened? Well, we got a straight out? No, we had a problem. I mean, uh, we tried to do everything we could. What do you mean? Well, you know what I mean. He's gone. And we couldn't do nothing about it. That's it. What do you mean? What do you mean? Uh, He's gone. He's gone. There might be a curse coming up. Camera zooms in on De Niro here. And he just starts destroying the... And this is the only emotion this character shows. Other than than when he's counting money. Really in the whole film. Uh, Okay, so I had a bunch of honorable mentions. The Pulp Fiction watch monologue with Christopher Walken. The untouchable scene uh, on the steps where Andy Garcia at the last second does a uh, saves the baby carriage and, and kills a bad dude, which is, uh, you know, a, a direct recreation of that famous uh, Odessa steps scene, I think, from the battleship Potemkin. Then I have a, a bunch of endings. We should do another episode on the best endings of all time. But I'm going to say the ending of Thief, where James Caan, and we've been building to this the whole the whole film, the Michael Mann directed movie Thief. Where he's this guy who has a code, he gets himself a wife, he gets himself uh, a child through the black market, and he gives it all up uh, because they shot Jim Belushi. (laughs) And he he goes and enacts his revenge. Very powerful. Ending of the Bad News Bears. (laughs) Every time when the little Uh, kid tells them to go uh, shove their trophy up their butt after they've lost in the championship game. Another, that's a so 70s. You, You have this whole, it's been copied so many times, but... I don't think it's ever ended with the, you know, the underdog team loses and it is okay with that. It's the greatest ending ever. It's a great message. And I never fail to tear up. And so those are my honorable mentions. Then right on to two scenes. This is my actual list. I had to pick two scenes from the deer hunter. The first of which is the scene where De Niro back from Vietnam goes on a hunting trip with his friends. This scene the Deer Hunter is really a movie I saw probably way too young. And it was, you know, when you first see it, it's like a horror movie. Uh, once they get into Vietnam and there's that Russian roulette, very famous scene. Uh, and it seems like the movie is almost about like nihilism. You know, it's just such a bleak, brutal movie. But of course, it's changed as I've gotten older. And uh, the fact that Michael Cimino or Chimino, however you say his name, he only made a couple of movies, you know. You know, Camille. Yeah, Yeah, I guess a a great book just came out about him. I guess it's the most in-depth study of his life and character and what he struggled with personally. It's supposed to be really good. But, I mean, The Deer Hunter is such a bizarre movie, and we can't really get through an episode without making fun of Marvel. But it's the opposite of what we're seeing in theaters now. This was an art film. It wears its heart on its sleeve. It's clearly this artist trying to say something. So, anyway, the scene where... De Niro sees a buck and can't kill it. He fires a shot, purposely misses. Okay. That's a waterfall you hear, a river below him. 
big duck, big duck. The big buck just walks away. De Niro that gets. That is a big buck. Holy cow! Then De Niro gets really close to the edge of a cliff. There's rapids underneath, and almost seems like he's going to jump off, but he sits down. And just screams, okay, off into the echo chamber. Now, there's a lot of debate over what that scene means. There was somebody I just saw in the, on a YouTube comment from six years ago where I pulled this video from. The guy was like, well, what it means is the buck is Christopher Walken, this noble and pure thing that De Niro left behind in Vietnam. And before De Niro had escaped from Vietnam, he had promised the Christopher Walken character, I won't leave you here. And that's him realizing he has to go back to Vietnam to save his friend, or at least to look for his friend. Now, I completely disagree with that. And I guess logically, some other people pointed out, well, De Niro doesn't know he's still alive until later in the movie. But I, don't, I think that's an interesting point. But I always just thought, you know, it's De Niro realizing, uh, accepting what he is now, how the war changed him, uh, and his views on killing. I think I think it's kind of literal there, where he he can't. Uh, there's the beauty in life and all that, and he's he's lucky to be alive. And uh, you know, he can go two ways. He can go down a dark path and be consumed by the darkness he saw in war, or he can try to go towards the light and the natural beauty and the spiritual nature and God and all that good stuff. So I think that's just him screaming to the, the void. You know, he's accepted it. He's accepted. He's done fighting. What's next? He's saying I, I it to know. himself. He's, say, he's saying it to himself, more or less. Just scream. Yeah, yeah. It's just there's things out there that's bigger than me. Wherever you're going to take me, you're going to take me. And I think the, and this is the, the, I think the end scene in The Deer Hunter I cannot watch this scene without tearing up where they're, you know, De Niro's home from Vietnam. He's in his full uniform. They've just come from the funeral for their lifelong friend, the Christopher Walken character, who, I mean, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen, he, he blew his brains out in a Russian roulette match <laughs> against his best friend, uh, you know, because that's the brutality. And they just sing, they come together and they sing God Bless America. And I think, again, I think this is the director and the screenwriter. He's putting his heart on his sleeve here. It's weird now to think like the, the term patriotism has sort of become a political term. It's become tainted in a little yeah. bit, in my opinion, where you say patriot and it's like a, a measure of your manhood. Where, no, I think in this scene they're talking about you know, patriotism and it's not, it's not jingoistic, but it's relying on your community it's the, it's, and, you know, family, just, friends. Yeah, and that's what, that's, what's important. And, and, you know, mourning a loss together uh, and, and how to get through something as also dark. Also not doing it like having a dinner rather than a parade. You know what I'm trying to say? And they do this amongst themselves, not for the public. And like there's closure That's to very that true. family and those friends. And very specific to Vietnam too. Like you think yes. back to when Vietnam veterans would, would be spit on and were blamed for getting sent to a war they didn't uh, necessarily want to go to. Uh, yeah, this is, it's just such a powerful scene and I don't uh, care also, how hokey it is, but it's just, it's beautiful. 
What were you gonna say? No, it's just that back in back then also soldiers didn't talk about what happened. It wasn't very much of uh you know, now we write books about these guys and new things today. It's a different world. This was a much quieter, you know, maybe for the wrong reasons, but that's just the way it was. It was everyone kept it to themselves a little bit more. And when this movie came out, there were still soldiers over there. And it was before the days yeah. that we knew what PTSD was. This is before Tom Brokaw started calling World War II vets the greatest generation. For this movie to come out in 1978 is nothing short of amazing. And, and, and I mean, yeah. essentially, th this scene represents all of America coming out of uh, the Vietnam War. So I'll shut up and, and play it real quick. Hopefully we don't get a copyright strike. <laughs> And so what we're seeing here, it's uh, the guy George Zunda, D-Z-U-N-D-A. Zunda? that? I don't know how to say his name, but he was a great character actor. I passed away, I believe. Uh, and then you have De Niro. The camera's focusing on De Niro, who has obviously been traumatized. POW, escapes, sees nothing but uh, violence, has his best friend blow his brains out in front of him. And he's sort of looking around. Oh, is this, what do I do here? What, what, he's, he needs help and he gets it sort of in the form of Meryl Streep starts to sing. It's that, it's that message of community. John Cazale. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her. Through the night with the light from above, from the mountains to the prairies, to the ocean, wide with foam, God bless America. And it's the last scene of the movie. And I don't care if people think it's hokey or if I haven't explained it well. If this what isn't one of the greatest scenes ever committed to celluloid, I don't know what is. Man, there's a lot of talent in that pit frame too. Holy! And just the, the fact that uh, for for the director to put that in there, you could never get that would never happen today, and it doesn't come across yeah. as as cynical, or it's not a corporation cashing in on a Twitter hashtag. I I love that. And then I guess just moving on, I'll try to speed this up a little. Ned Beatty's uh, network speech is uh, more relevant than ever, although I hate that word. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale, and I won't have it. Is that clear? You think you merely stopped a business deal. That is not the case. The Arabs have taken billions of dollars out of this country, and now they must put it back. It is ebb and flow, tidal gravity. It is ecological balance. 
You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There are no Russians. There are no Arabs. There are no third worlds. There is no West. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. Petrodollars, electrodollars, multidollars, Reichmarks, rims, rubles, pounds, and shekels. And that is a five-minute scene. It's a five-minute monologue yeah. written by Patty Chayefsky. And, uh, yeah, I love – there was a – the thing about, you know, everyone here is uh, the, uh, the 70s or the golden age of film and all that. And I think that's true. I mean, for a movie – to come out and just say, no matter what, you're going to lose. <laughs> it's just, no matter what, the system will crush you. That's why I also love movies where it's about people who buck the system. I'm going to then pick The Wild Bunch, the ending of The Wild Bunch, which uh, one of my favorite movies. And, you know, it's William Holden, an old-time actor who was also in Network. Uh, Ernest, Ernest Borgnine. Just all these old-time actors making this sort of radical Western that sort of rejects Westerns, that rejects the notion of heroes uh, in the old West. And, you know, they're, they're dinosaurs, they're past their prime, and they decide to go out on their own terms. Uh, you know, it's very manly, maybe a little cheesy, but it, it hits me. It hits me right in the feels, as the kids say. Here is just the beginning of their last walk. Let's go. He says that the war notes. Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson. That's I said. I had that wrong before. That's what I was trying to say. Sorry. Why not? Who are brothers? Why not? He basically, he, I mean, he's saying to them, "Let's go." I mean, it's die. a suicide. I mean, this is the suicide mission. But oh, wow, it's so done so well. End of the road, fellas. So, and then this leads up to a walk which has probably been referenced in, in so many movies. I think Reservoir Dogs, there's so many movies draw from, from the Wild Bunch. So then uh, Warren Oates, Johnson, William Holden, Ernest Borgnine just looks at them and they know without even having to speak. So that's that. that that's uh, the Wild Bunch. Love that clip. Uh, real fast. The opening to Raising Arizona. I think okay. uh, Raising Arizona is it's a movie whose message and, and themes have changed over the years as you get older i mean it's it's a really i mean it's a movie that sort of captures a guy falls in love they get married they have a child although they steal a child they go you know they encounter all yeah. these obstacles it's very much like about marriage you know what i mean like and, and having a family <laughs> and then by the end of it you know it it, it it tracks it to the very end where he has that uh, that that dream where he sees the rest of his life it's like from birth to death everything is in raising arizona first time i met ed was in the county lockup in tempe arizona don't forget his profile ed turn to the right a day i'll never forget turn to the right nicholas cage at his best uh, like short for edwina turn to the right you're a flower you are and Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter's so good in this movie. It's got a great cast. John Goodman's awesome in this. William Forsythe. Uh, yeah, from top to bottom. I mean, the Coen brothers, they, they've like 
slowly become probably my favorite filmmakers, you know, between this and No Country for Old Men. I mean, the, the talk about if I had like an ounce of, of that type of talent. All right. I'm going to, this is a weird one. I might've gone on my, over my five uh, limit here, but all right. So this is a movie called straight time. Brian, you got me the DVD for uh, my birthday or Christmas. I do appreciate it. That's just another one. It looks incredible. Like I just remember yeah. seeing straight time on like channel five on a Saturday afternoon. And then on VHS, I had it and it was always just a literal dark movie. I didn't realize it's just so incredible to see it. Half but anyway, the scenes are cut out to fit the TV. Yeah. 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 It's a totally different experience to watch it in its original version. But so straight time is about, it's based on a true story. The screenplay is based on a book written by Eddie Bunker, who was a spent like his, his entire half his life. By the time he was like 40, literally half his life had been behind bars. He was a petty thief. Uh, drug addict and all that good stuff became an author appears in runaway runaway train reservoir dogs and uh you know just at the beginning of the of the movie he's one of the guys in in on the on the heist so anyway the straight time is about max dembo this guy who gets out of jail and uh tries to become straight you know hence the title of the movie but he just can't do it so in this scene he visits his old friend harry dean stanton the great harry dean stanton and Harry Dean Stanton, they're, they're, they're by a pool. They're cooking hamburgers. Harry Dean Stanton seems to have this idyllic life. He found this woman. He's in love. And they have, like, this couple's banter back and forth. And then Harry Dean Stanton reveals something. Yeah, I know Lumpy. Well, what are we going to do? I'm going to go down the whole damn list now. First, there was Lumpy. Then was Steve, the bodybuilder, greased himself to death. <laughs> and then Raymond, who sold us the lemon out front. Any, uh, leave any out? Only you cut it. So how do you two birds meet? I'm married to 31 flavors of all places. Yeah, he was 32. <laughs> and she a peach. <laughs> hey, why don't we get uh, Sherry and we'll go out dancing later? Are you on Sherry? Uh, that blonde that threw up in the car the last time we went out? I know the kind of broad he wants. Stand-up broad, good-looking broad, Marlene. I think what I really like is a beer, if you have one. Sure, I got beer. Do you want everything on these burgers? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, here. You guys. Thanks. I'll be right back. Thank you, honey. Here we go. The wife's walked away. Not bad. Get me out of here. They're killing me. <laughs> I can't make the scene anymore. Get me out of here. I just, that scene is so, and I think uh, also the Dustin Hoffman character, he asks for a beer because he does have, he, he's got a score coming up and he wants Harry Dean Stanton to help him with it. So Harry Dean Stanton plays this, you know, he's playing the routine of, uh, he's playing house essentially, but he wants to go back to robbing jewelry stores. And so he says, get me out of here, get me. I just, I love that scene. It's just such a weird scene. And then uh, last but not least, and then we'll get to Brian's. I feel like this was, like I'm just blabbing on and on or probably boring people to death. I don't know if this is interesting. Maybe we'll maybe we'll see if we can go lower in terms of downloads than we did with uh, the last one about uh, We Own This City. But here is more modern movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I think was already... Did somebody already mention that once? Oh, yeah, uh, John Amenta. John, yeah. The, the scene where Rick is coming back from Italy, he's got a new wife... And the bromance, I guess, the lifelong friendship or the longtime friendship of these two. This is a male bond. This is the ultimate male bonding 
uh, discussion, I guess, or narration, or that explains male bonding to a certain degree. After nine years together would be Rick and Cliff's final rodeo. Cliff doesn't have a clue what he's going to do. The only thing the two men know of for sure, tonight, Rick and Cliff will have a good old-fashioned drunk. Both men know once the plane touches down in El Segundo, it'll be the end of an era for both of them. When you come to the end of the line with a buddy who is more than a brother and a little less than a wife, getting blind drunk together is really the only way to say farewell. So, yeah, just the fact, I mean, it's Kurt Russell doing the narration, that whole I, description, the blind drunk, and then it leads into uh, the Rolling Stones. Yes, created, well, I, you know, Rolling Stones are better than the Beatles. That was literally a movie that uh, I had on my list a few more times, um, but then I took it off because there was literally, I could put tw 12 scenes from that movie. I mean, just simply the scariest scene on film in the last couple of years was literally Brad Pitt walking onto the spawn ranch. I mean, that one of the greatest scenes ever, you know, so I, I there was so many of that I could have picked from once upon a time in Hollywood that I didn't even pick one. It almost seems like that movie was created based on a list like this. Tarantino thought up, Oh, what would be a collection of the greatest scenes yeah. ever and put them all in, in one movie? Cause you know, it obviously comments uh, on movies itself. So it is a, it is a great movie. I, I'll call it a masterpiece. What the heck? All right, let's get to Brian's, picks here mr spears you have you probably don't have it in front of you do you you no i well i did but uh now i see you have it in front of me unless you want oh to you can it see off. it oh that's right that's right yeah. yeah 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 so uh why don't you go through it your honorable mentions and i'll shut up for once all right so i guess uh we originally started as a horror podcast so i was trying to include something from horror um so i i went more my my picks are more like from the gut i can't say they're from like a cinematography standpoint or a social message but evil dead 2 when ash fights his hand i mean to me it's pure slapstick it's the slapstick that i don't mind in the evil dead franchise it's it's fun it's still gory and it's still you know i felt the pain of his own hand him fighting with his own hand so i i love that scene um, i'll just add to it evil dead 2 is so much better than army of darkness oh well yeah i mean it's without a doubt again Army of Darkness is kind of like my Return of the Jedi. It was a movie that I anxiously awaited and was like so happy to go see. And then I finally saw it and was so, severely disappointed. And yet that's the movie really that is a touchstone, I think, at this point for a huge, for most of the population. When they say like all these people talking about Doctor Strange, when they say, oh, the Sam Raimi style, they're talking yeah. about Army of Darkness, which is a shame. It, and that's my issue because I do think you know, Evil Dead 2 is, I think, 88 minutes. It just never stops, never slows down. It doesn't get stupid. And when it does get stupid, it's intentional. Um, cool. Uh, the Thing, the blood test from The Thing. I mean, there was another bunch of scenes I could have added from The Thing, but that shows the paranoia. Uh, that that scene is just, oh, talk about tension. It's and, awesome. though, and though it's not politically correct to say, but any scene from true romance i think could be in this entire uh i think a lot of any tarantino written scene can be kind of put into any of this but specifically uh from true romance i mean again there's so many scenes you can pick from but it's tom sizemore tom sizemore and chris penn as the cops true romance is the most quentin tarantinoist of uh, quentin tarantino movies yes. but yeah. he didn't direct it. he didn't direct it tony scott which is probably 
you know, yes, it's totally the Tony Scott version of a of a Tarantino. it works. It works. It totally I works. Mean, yeah. It's, but then I, again, you great... can pick a lot of scenes from that movie. I guess my regular list was good. Uh, my top five or the ones that stuck out that I can. You come skipped. Up with. You skipped a couple though. You skipped. Oh, uh, I did. Oh, I did. I uh, it was out of my sight. honorable mention. Yeah, I, out of sight. I I love that movie. Steve Zahn in that movie is incredible. Uh, but it's literally like the beginning. Uh, it's like one of the. It's towards the beginning of the movie. It's uh, again an, another story about a crook trying to go straight, and he shows up to get a job gets turned away and then he goes out into the parking lot takes his like frustration out on his tie it is so awesome snap zooms freeze frames just that one shot that is uh soderberg i'm gonna go on to my top five goodfellas i had two scenes from goodfellas but I hey wait let's just one. maybe i'll just play it and then people will know instantly what uh okay. what, what you ended up picking it's like right there you already know We're going to get a copyright strike. This is fair use, though. We're commenting on this, not just playing it to play it. But it is, of course, Brian, what? The helicopter surveillance scene in Goodfellas, where he believes he's being followed. Oh, 30 it seconds is into paranoia it. at its best. It is like literally uh, paranoia at its finest. Be busy all day. You feel, you feel this scene when it happens. Silencers he had gotten. I had to pick up my brother at the hospital and drive him back to the house for dinner that night. And then I had to pick up some new Pittsburgh stuff for Lois to fly down to some customers I had near Atlanta. Yeah, talk about masterful storytelling. My like, God, Goodfellas. I mean, I know it's like it's the bro movie. It's probably like your own. It's like an uncle movie, I guess, by this point, or it's a dad film, I guess, because we are in our we're cisgender white oh, males it's a, it's pushing just a really fifty. Good movie. But yeah, no, I'll say I'll defend it to the you know, it's Goodfellas is, is a masterpiece. I mean, who would have? I mean, I didn't even realize until today, right? That's Harry Nielsen, I think, how you yeah, say his name. Yeah. Jump into the fire. That song begins with just like a baseline, as if it's a pulsating heart. Which I don't even think I don't know if that's in the movie. Just that very beginning, it's like boom, boom, but but oh my god! Like for Scorsese to put that in there, who would have thought that would have worked? His use of music is just brilliant. It's been copied so many times; it's been done to death, but it still still works. Next scene would be from another movie that I think had a million scenes I could have chose from, but it's uh, Boogie Nights. If you want it, oh, don't worry about it. I mean, go ahead. You know, if you want. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. Everybody knows this scene, I hope. Yeah, I, the fireworks the scene. Fireworks I mean, scene. Uh, Alfred Molina is, should have been won an Oscar for this role. Also, this is just the, the scumbag on those cat like the John C. Riley, Mark, Mark Wahlberg, Thomas Jane. They're so scummy at this point in the movie. Like they probably reek. You can smell like it's just their characters are there. They're like junkies. So, they're yeah. porn stars. There's like there's no real fam familial connection that they got going on. Yeah, you feel sorry for them. And that what I love about that scene ultimately is that's the scene where Marky Mark's character, where they do you know uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, focuses on him and he gets this blank look at his face yeah. and you realize, oh this is I've I've got to change my life. This, yeah, this like is this it. is his moment. Look where too it's far. taken me. Yeah. My next uh, one was the almost famous uh, tiny dancer sing along on the bus. I just um, watched this with my son yesterday. Oh, really? 
Yeah, because Tiny Dancer was, uh, I won't go into it, but I just watched it yesterday, yeah. Just the scene. Not, not the just movie. the scene, just the scene, yeah, yeah, just the scene. It, it's almost a specific spot. It is where, I think it's the drummer, or might might have been the, not the drummer, but it's where he does the air guitar, or the air drumming. To yes. The beat. To me, that is, like, because it goes in, it gets, it's very sappy in the movie. And again, I'm not a huge Elton John fan. So this song was always on the radio. So of course I know it. This gave me to the point now where, oh, I like this song. And maybe it I, it, because- I think it reintroduced that song to uh, a complete new generation too. Like my kids know that song. So that, that to me was a big scene. Here's another scene. I, I didn't know what you were talking about here. I, I, so yeah, explain this one to oh, me. I don't remember dude. this. This is it. This is why when you said, what's my favorite scene in a movie, this literally this makes that there's nothing no great dialogue in this scene there's no great camera angle there's no great anything cole hauser is on whatever that show uh yellowstone right you know i guess he's like a big deal now but back then he was like back you wait you haven't said the movie well all right well back in the day he was in a movie called days and confused he has a very small part he was like literally the dude that was uh, with uh, Matthew McConaughey when he got arrested for playing bongos naked, you know, for too loud. He was wait. You're, you're skipping between the movie and real life. I didn't know well, that. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So that like the thing is, Cole Hauser is amazing in this movie. He's just, I think he plays. Does he? I don't know who he plays. Benny? Maybe I don't know. He has the baseball cap, the blue and white baseball cap. He's one of the older jerks. He's, he's yeah. He's just one of the jocks though, and he's in the back. And I want to say he's talking to Pink about. You know, like, hey, you got to play on the team. You got to do this. You got to do that. And it's the end of the party. It's when they go to the moon tower and he gets up off his chair, but he's been drinking all day and he just slightly stumbles. Just like, <laughs> Why, just hit me, you as real? Have you is, been there? I've been there, my brother. I've been there. To me, that made me laugh more than any like written joke in that movie. That to me was so funny. And again, you have to pick up on it. And that's where, like, hey, Cole Hauser is getting all this attention now. He was a genius back then to think, like, it, it is so, uh, such a small stumble. But to me, that was genius. All right. So what I found connected to Dazing a Fuse and Cole Hauser was an interview he did with whoever, the former sports guy who has a show on, like, I don't know what's what satellite service it is. But let's see if I can play this. Just a, just a brief clip from it. Dan no, no. Patrick show. Oh, days to Dan Patrick, days. there we go. Had sort of this cult-like following. It's funny, yes, because when it came out, Gramercy released it, and it came and went. I mean, it was a weekend, literally. So it made no money in the theaters. But when I realized it was a real success, was I was walking through Blockbuster back in the day, and it, it was attached to Fast Times at Richmond High. And I was like, oh, my God, Days and Confused and Fast Times together in a box cassette? That's when I was like, this is uh, obviously doing very well as far as a cult classic you know and he was only 17 oh wow okay when he made that so yeah that's a great movie so i guess this is your last one this Brian. is my this last is, this one. is yeah this is a so, terrifying but, and and listen i you should say what it is say I what will, it is i will but i did okay. have more movies i was like trying to give like a nice you know i like creepy movies for a while i thought about henry i oh. thought about you know but then i'm like all right i like those scenes and they're shocking but there's, you know, I'm not that much of a sicko, you know, and, <laughs> and like, you don't want to be represented by the VHS scene from Henry portrait. Yeah, of the serial so killer. like, uh, I think David Fincher is an unsung hero. Like, I think he, a makes the, one of 
some of the most beautiful looking movies um, and legitimately some of the creepiest movies. And I think Zodiac is one of, if not his best movie, one of his best movies. And there's the scene where they're going, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's going to the basement to find out about the, the get look at the signature on, I think it's the most dangerous game poster. And I always forget the guy's name, but it's the voice of, uh, oh, you didn't look, I thought you were going to look this up. Darn it. Yeah. I don't remember his it's name. Fleisch, Fleischer Fleischer. Robert Fleischer. Yeah. Yeah. Who's been at countless horror conventions. Yes. yes. And again, it's not even it's just that we've, like, that we've attended. I mean, and, and it's not like, this is a character we only meet very briefly. And it might be that it is like this actor has this great look to him. He has a history of having done voice work. I'm bringing all that in when I see this. And it is a downright, just scary scene. I was inspired. Are you sure there's nobody else in the house? Would you like to go upstairs and check? <laughs> yeah. No. Thank you. Thanks for everything. Jake Gyllenhaal is perfect in that. Yeah, this, and so is he. He's oh gosh, he's so scary in this. But it's the camera work; it's so much. I mean, this is David Fincher. He's, oh. It's locked. Yeah, that is that is is absolutely a great scene. So those are all of them, huh? Yeah. I don't I mean, know. We could go on. We could do this every week if we wanted to, I'm sure. Right. Maybe the next one will have to do his best endings because I had a couple uh, in, in mind there. And then in the next couple of weeks, we got to do a wrap-up on the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. We'll invite uh, Matt Maisto from Mondo Creepy on. Follow him at uh, Mondo Creepy. And then once the boys wraps up, we should do an episode uh, on that show as well. But uh, all right, we rambled a little bit. Sometimes these... Uh, these type well, of shows, it, it never really, it never really works out exactly how I want it, and I don't feel like editing this, so I'm just gonna post it as is. So, for uh, Mr. Brian Spears, I'm Carlos Danger, and this was Insufferable Bastard. See you next time. Later.